0: You tuned in to The Kojo Nam, the show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, we are meeting at the intersection of politics and poetry. We sit down with two local poets. But first, President Biden issued an executive order giving LGBTQ people new federal protections from discrimination. And yesterday, he reversed the Trump-era ban on transgender people in the military. So, What do these protections mean for LGBTQ people in our region, and what comes next? Joining me now is Sunu Chandi, legal director of the National Women's Law Center. Sunu Chandi, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Briefly, can you tell us what the National Women's Law Center is, what kind of work it does, and why these moves by the Biden administration are of interest?
1: Sure, absolutely. The National Women's Law Center has been a legal organization for the, over the past 40 years fighting for the end of sex discrimination and to address sex discrimination across so many areas of our lives, workplace, education, income security, health and reproductive rights, and against sexual harassment. And of course, these are issues that concern LGBTQ individuals and women's rights, is LGBTQ rights, and because of that, we are very, very excited to see this executive order and all that it can mean. Um, as you mentioned, this executive order was issued on January 20th, and it was so powerful in its, in its simplicity that the first part of it is only five sentences, but it starts with every person should be treated with respect and dignity and should be able to live without fear no matter who they are or whom they love. And it goes on like that for four more sentences to really say what this administration is about. And after the tremendous rollbacks of civil rights that the last administration tried to do across all areas of our lives, this is a breath of fresh air. And this administration has made clear on day one that all of the agencies must take efforts to enforce this and to put this into practice in line with the Supreme Court's ruling from last June in the Bostock decision. So we are, we are thrilled about this.
0: Yes, tell us a little bit more about the Bostock decision, that landmark Supreme Court ruling from last year.
1: Sure, this was last summer, and this case involved workers' rights, and the court's analysis, though, was based on this. If sex discrimination is not allowed, then also discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity, is also not allowed under the federal laws. And that same language, which is in a law called Title Seven in the workplace, is also contained in Title IX that gives protections in the education space, in our health care laws, in our how fair housing laws. So once the Supreme Court says that sex discrimination is illegal in all these spaces and what that means, It's really just the next step for all of our agencies and courts to follow that. And we're already seeing that happen. We're already seeing courts say, well, if that's the case in employment, of course that's the case in education too. And so trans students cannot be banned from a particular restroom or locker room and have rights to play with the other kids on the sports teams. And so we're delighted to see the court cases. We're delighted to see the executive orders because that will mean that federal agencies, federal civil rights agencies, will be taking in complaints from individuals, and schools, employers, all of these entities will know that they must treat LGBTQ individuals equally or they're violating federal law.
0: Joining us now is Ruby Corrado, executive director of Casa Ruby, an LGBTQ bilingual and multicultural organization in the DC area. Ruby Corrado, thank you for joining us again. Good morning. Good afternoon. Um, I'd like to get your reaction to the Biden administration's recent executive orders, but first tell us about Casa Ruby and the work you do.
2: Yes, Casa Ruby is a lifeline for many people who have been pushed onto the margins of society and live at the intersection of violence, poverty, disease that can be prevented, homelessness. And basically we support them on with a 24-hour model that centers their needs um, from people that are survivors. So we basically save lives 24-7 in the nation's capital.
0: What do President Biden's recent executive orders expanding protections for LGBTQ people mean to you and to the community that you
2: work with? Well, number one, I can sleep. (laughs) I can get some sleep. Because (laughs) over the past four years, I have been basically live in, in a survival mode. I don't know what attacks uh, will come on every day. And more importantly, the people of this country and around the world can now, um, you know, have some dignity. Because for the last four years, um, there was a narrative that really told many lies about who LGBTQ people are. And now we can actually get back to work and show the world that LGBT people are amazing individuals. We're co-workers, we're mothers, we're, we're fathers, we're doctors, we're family members, and we have a lot to contribute in this country.
0: Let's go to John in Colonial Beach, Virginia. John, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
3: Hi, Kogo. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you, John.
3: Yeah, okay. We spoke for your program several times in the past. As I said, I spent okay. many years. I'm sorry, I disagree with this approach here because I spent 35 years in military the other thing too, the military is not a democracy; it's a dictatorship, and you have to understand these things. I hope after I leave the program, after your call, you know, there's no name calling about my viewpoints. But I feel that Joe Biden, who's never served a day in his life in the military, doesn't understand the armed forces and our society how we run, and I think he's really trying to civilianize our military. There. So I think many people say this is wonderful. No, we're not back in the 60s or the 70s. Of do your thing. Not in the armed forces. There is very stringent requirements as far as behavior, what we do. And if you don't measure up, we will remove you. So that's my comment. Okay, thank
0: you. Goodbye. Well, we don't do name-calling on this show, John, but I'll have Sunu Chandi respond to your comments. Sunu?
1: Sure, absolutely. I think that the executive order from January 25th um, that basically sort of ended this ban on transgender individuals essentially serving was so important because someone's gender identity cannot be a bar for any sort of work, including the military service. And if you look back at when when the laws improved in this area, they were based on studies and reports that said there's really no problem here. And as with many of the things that the Trump administration did, they did not change the rules and policies based on any sort of data or evidence, but rather just a plain bias. And so in this executive order, President Biden has said it's the policy of the United States to ensure that all transgender individuals who wish to serve in the United States military and can meet the appropriate standards should be able to do so openly and free from discrimination. And I'm so glad that the leadership um, of the country and of these armed forces have supported that and will be implementing that. And there are many who have suffered as a result of this ban. And I wanna lift up, you know, Lambda Legal brought a lawsuit on this case and raised up the, the many individuals who have suffered under this ban and their stories were told as part of that litigation. And there were so many efforts to fight against this. And so this is a good day. When discrimination can end, and sort of we can work more proactively to really enforce the civil rights in our country. Because as we know, just having them on the books is one thing, there's a lot of work that then goes into implementing them. And I also want to lift up the executive order on racial equity that was also issued on January 20th because so many LGBTQ people are people of color. And sort of these efforts to roll back civil rights with race, national origin, immigration, disability, all of these areas have really severely harmed LGBTQ individuals in the last administration. And now every day we are seeing more and more statements from this Biden-Harris administration, that that is not how we are going to run our nation. We're going to improve the rollbacks.
0: Ruby Corrado, I'd like you to, to respond to our caller who said that President Biden simply doesn't understand the military and that he is wrong.
2: Well, I don't think the point is about understanding. It's really about doing the right thing. Any uh, American that is willing to risk their lives for their country should be able to have the opportunity to do so, providing that they meet all the qualifications. And unfortunately, that was not what was happening. And we are seeing a change in narrative, a narrative that actually fuels hate, a narrative that allows for families to dispose of their LGBTQ members of the family and puts them in very dangerous situations. Unfortunately, last year, over $15,000, uh, 15,000 people came to Casa Ruby, and most of them were in need. Most of them made less than $10,000 per year, and many of them have already experienced a hate crime. That is not the country I want to live in. I want to live in a country where people are able to thrive, and it doesn't matter who they are, what they're given opportunities and can actually showcase the best that they have to offer.
0: Here is Trisha in Rockville, Maryland. Trisha, your turn.
4: Hi. Yes, uh, I am the mom of a um, really wonderful 22-year-old trans man who is a brilliant scientist, and um, he uh, he is now a PhD candidate studying marine biology. But um, I have seen firsthand the ripple effects of the government's discrimination against LGBTQ people. Um, for instance, he was he almost lost his um, his full scholarship and fellowship that he had for doing his PhD work, because um, he has legally changed his name and sex um, on all of his uh, government documents. But that meant that he was required to register for selective service. But of course, the DOD does not allow trans people to register for selective service. But um, he could not receive funding from this major university that received government funds unless he could prove that he had registered. So ultimately, we solved it. But um, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful to the university who, you know, he's the very first trans person to ever be a graduate student with, um, with funding there at this major university. I'm grateful for them for helping work it out. but like these barriers just don't need to be in place. and I, I was really very worried for his future and I feel so much you know, relief over the fact that um, you know these things are being solved.
0: Trisha, thank you very much for sharing your story with us. I am Kojo Na. Welcome back. We're discussing what President Biden's recent executive orders mean for members of our local LGBTQ communities. We're talking with Sunu Chandy, Legal Director of the National Women's Law Center, and Ruby Corrado is the Executive Director of Casa Ruby, an LGBTQ bilingual and multicultural organization here in the D.C. area. Sunu, what do these protections mean for people in the D.C. area, especially given the approximately 300,000 federal workers in this area?
1: Sure. So D.C. has wonderful progressive and innovative local laws in its Human Rights Act, and Maryland does too. And as of last summer, July 2020, Virginia also has wonderful state-level protections for LGBTQ individuals based on lots of, you know, hard grassroots organizing. And now we need to think about our federal workforce because they have really been demoralized through the last four years. They've had to sort of take positions in court that are against LGBTQ workers and really many times feel harassed and afraid at their jobs from what I can tell from employee associations and now we have a completely different moment in our nation where we have an executive order coming from the White House saying LGBTQ individuals are valued. And so I think this is a really shining moment for so many of the career workers, um, attorneys and others in our civil rights agencies to really know that they have these protections and they're solid and they're cemented, even if they existed on paper before. I know many people did not really believe them to be true, because when your bosses and your bosses', bosses are going to court and saying your rights don't exist in the workplace or in housing or in schools, that is incredibly demoralizing. So that's one big game for the federal workers in this moment. The other thing that's really important about this executive order is that it mentions overlapping areas of our lives. Sometimes we refer to that as intersectionality, and it talks about how LGBTQ people also are people of different races, have disabilities, and really have these Real range of components of our lives, and those kinds of cases would be protected too if you're discriminated against, for example, based on race and being an LGBTQ individual, you have protections under our laws. So it's a really, really powerful moment. And if I could just also mention the Equality Act, as some of us know, that is a bill that passed in the House a couple years ago, but will need to be taken up by this Congress. And folks may have questions about why we still need that. And we need these laws cemented in our national laws so that even if it's a hostile court or a different administration, we still have the rights and the Movement Advancement Project put out a report today, released today, this afternoon, why we all need the Equality Act now and the National Women's Law Center was a co-sponsor of that and we're excited to share that too.
0: You actually provided congressional testimony in support of the Equality Act, but I'd like to pursue the point you were making earlier uh, about intersectionality with Ruby Corrado, because we often talk, Ruby, about intersectionality of each person's identity. So how will other protections President Biden announced, like those on immigration, impact the LGBTQ people that Casa Ruby supports?
2: Yes, very often after Stonewall, many people really um, lost touch with the reality of what Stonewall was about, fighting um, you know, the oppression from the police, mostly a lot of people of color. And having a precedent that is actually able to link the intersections of need, the intersections of poverty, that puts at a huge and alarming rates of violence, people who were already vulnerable, is something that brings me hope. Uh, one of the things that I do know that through all of these um, uh, policies that are going to be implemented, there's also going to be an element that translates to funding. Four years ago, we used to have a program that was um, part of Ryan White funding for to support transgender individuals that were living with HIV in the na- nation's capital. And they removed completely... The, uh, the word transgender and the, the whole grant was lost because policies is, is specifically limit people just by their identities. And what I am hoping and, and honestly is that this administration will work with us directly. That the leaders that are now on the front line saving people will have an opportunity. I want to go to the to, to HHS and work with the new appointees. I want to I want to be an advisor because very often we're not the ones making these decisions. And last before I end, I want to make a call to action to uh, the president, the vice president. We need a declaration of a state of emergency in terms of how many killings of black and brown trans women are happening across this country. Because this is actually the result of a narrative that put our lives in a disposable uh, garbage can and we need to change this and we need a declaration because along with the policy we need economic justice we need resources so the people that are now dying because of the horror or the past four years can begin to thrive and thrive strong
0: here now is ben in valdosta georgia ben you're on the air go ahead please Thank you, Kojo. I appreciate the opportunity to speak.
5: I wanted to provide a counterpoint to the caller who had referenced his military experience as a example of why the recent Biden ruling was incorrect in that the military is uh, not a democracy, it's a dictatorship. I think it's probably more accurate to call the military a uh, meritocracy. Um, I've been in the military for 18 years. I plan on doing so for at least a handful more, and uh, it's usually... Uh, for most of the people who come to the military, a refreshing experience of breaking free of whatever views you have from your, your home site, where you come from, and being immersed in a people that are a cross-section of the United States and are slowly allowed to perform to their utmost and promoted to that, to that ability. I, I was, you know, obviously in the military when the Don't Ask, Don't Tell was, re- you know, was removed, and I have co-workers of mine who chose to get out of the military before that rule was moved because they couldn't take the duplicity of doing their best while not being their best and being their most open. Okay. And I watched uh, people live a more reserved service life just so they can eke through and, and finally have a rule on their side. And both of those situations are losses for the military. We're a fighting force. I fully believe that people who choose to step into the arena and put their lives at risk with me deserve to do so. And... I feel like the military has always been a stepping stone for society to follow, and I think it's a—it's something we can look at a bigger picture for. It's not just will it make the military functional. I think that's a—it will always be uh, foremost in a commander's minds. But it, okay. how does that serve as a stepping stone for us to view each other um, and bypass okay. maybe what might be some implicit or explicit biases we bring to the force? Thank you.
0: Ben, thank you very much for sharing with us. On note, Angela in Manassas, Virginia. Angela, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
4: Good morning. I just want to say I concur with everything that last uh, caller said. I'm a retired Army officer as well, and I can tell you my experience has been uh, we have been serving with gays for decades. And I have never experienced a problem with it. I have deployed, we have bathed, and we have slept in close close quarters, and it's never been an issue. And everyone knows that, that there has been gays serving in the military, and transgenders will just be another extension of that. I don't foresee any problem. If we need to ban anyone from the military, it probably needs to be homophobic people, because the ones that are serving are just absolutely wonderful.
0: Thank you very much for your call. Uh, Ruby, President Biden appointed Dr. Rachel Levine as Assistant Secretary of Health, who would be the first openly trans person to be confirmed by the Senate. We only have about a minute or so left, but what are your thoughts on that appointment, and why is it important?
2: We celebrate it, and I look for the moment when he appoints a black or a brown trans woman so we can all work together and get to do the work that the American people is hoping on him to do.
0: Well, you're one of DC's most well-known transgender activists and a couple of weeks ago you announced you'd be stepping down from your role. I cannot let you go without asking why. (laughs)
2: because I want to be intentional about how I support the communities that I serve. And I have discovered that 60% of the growth of Casa Ruby came from community support. And I wanna focus on working with the community at all levels. So I am very excited of the new initiatives that I bring because I know the local DC community, the DMV community will support me in creating more change than the one that I've already started.
0: So thank you very much for sharing that with us. Ruby Corrado is the executive director of CASA Ruby, and Sunu Chandi is the legal director of the National Women's Law Center. Thank you both for joining us. When we come back, we're meeting at the intersection of politics and poetry. We sit down with two local poets. I'm Kaujo Nand.
4: Thanks for listening to The Kojo Namdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.